Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor, high five them and say nothing else will do and you may be seated in the house of God. Worship team, thank you. Wow, Pastor Eric, man. Woo, way to bring it guys, way to bring it. Thank you, that was fantastic. Fantastic. We are continuing our series this week. This is part two of Get Off Your Donkey. Did anybody get off their donkey this week? A couple of us did. Well, by the end of this four-week series, there are going to be many more folk getting off their donkeys. You see, we're focusing on the story of the Good Samaritan. And last week, we talked about the interaction with this lawyer and Christ. And, and before I move forward, I just want to say thank you to our kids for being in the house with us this morning. We, the first Sunday of every month, we bring our children in. Why? So they can watch you worship. And I hope the one sitting next to you wasn't disappointed, and I'm going to keep going. I hope they saw you worship. But this week, we're going to continue in this conversation that's going on between Jesus and this attorney, this, this professional with the law, and this, this lawyer. And, and the lawyer asked Jesus, he said, okay, I get it, but who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You told me to love my neighbor as myself. Define who my neighbor is. So, I want to ask you, do you know who your neighbors are? You know, we, I know a few of mine. I wish I could say I knew all of their names, but I, I know a lot of them. I want to play a game with you for just a minute. I want to play a game called Name That Neighbor. And what's going to happen is I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. And I want you to tell me who their neighbor is. This famous, well-known neighbor. Give me the first picture, if you will. Who is that? It's Raymond. Who's his neighbor? His mom and dad. There we go. Okay, give me the next one. Can you see that? Who's that? It's Carl Winslow. Who's his neighbor? Urkel. All right, give me the next one. Tim, the tool man, Taylor, and who is his neighbor? Wilson. One more. Let's see if you can get it. Give me the last one. Does anybody remember that? Few of you do. Who was their neighbor? Did anybody get all of them? You watch way too much TV. Last week we asked the question, as we stated just a moment ago, who is my neighbor? The attorney wanted to know, who is my neighbor? And there was a very important reason that this was a vital question at this time because there was this huge debate going on right now with the Jews about who my neighbor was. You see, they, they thought that only their neighbor could be a Jew like them. They thought that only other Jews could be their neighbor. They, they, they were folks that had to look like them, think like them, talk like them, like the same movies as them, listen to the same music as them, and, and had to vote just like they did. And that was their neighbor. Only those who, who looked like them, you get the picture, could be their neighbor. You see, it was one of those, if, if you're not a part of our team, you're not worthy of our love. You're not worthy of our love. And you know, as a matter of fact, if their mindset in the Jewish custom at this time was, if you're not a part of our team, you, you, you either are you're with us or you're our enemy. 
So if you're not our neighbor, if you're not considered a part of our group, you're my, you're my enemy. And, and this lawyer was trying to box Jesus in, and he was saying, okay, define to me and tell me, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied by telling this story that we've all heard, and we've all been to VBS and, and Sunday school at times, and, and, and have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. So this is the way Jesus answers him, and, and he responds to him by, by telling this story. And you know, we've all been driving down the road, and we, hear, we, we always think of the Good Samaritan when we're driving down the road and we see that car broke down. And as we fly right on by it, we think about the Good Samaritan. Last night we left a meeting from here and we were in a rush. We were listening to the Tennessee kickoff and the ball game. And, and, and you know at that time Tennessee was doing good. We were like, hey, maybe. Maybe. And we're flying. You watch the game too, huh? <laughs> we won't talk about that. We'll get back to the story. And we're on our way home and I'm, I come over top of the hill on uh, Hodges, Hodges Bend and I'm going back up the hill and this car just stops in front of me. I'm like, oh, come on, for the love. I want to watch this game. It's, we're leading it. i got to get home. And I don't know what he's doing. He's sitting there. and oh, Terry and I are in the car and the girls, and we're going, what is going on? And all of a sudden, his hazards come on, and we're trying to figure it out. And I finally say, oh, I send O'Terry, go find out what's going on. I'm going to sit right here. You're young. You can run faster. So he goes up and come to find out it was a, a, an elderly gentleman. And uh, we didn't know what was wrong at the time, but his car had run out of gas. So we're right here on that hill, right before we get to your subdivision, Mr. Bobby, and uh, a dangerous, dangerous spot. So we send a couple guys up top, one in Corbin. Corbin gets there, and, and, and you know, as he gets there, he gets out of the car, and he, he comes up to help, and, and, and we start directing traffic and getting people through, and, and one of the guys lives right there, and he, he's going to get gas, and, and we're sending people through, and, and, and I just couldn't believe the people that just came flying right by us. Did he mash? Just was mad, flying right by us, and, and, and then all of a sudden, I said, Corbin, where's Hannah? And he goes, oh, she was one of those that just flew right by. She dropped me off and kept going, <laughs> and she never came back. We get to my house, and she's sitting in the driveway. And she had the mentality we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. And I'm just picking on Hannah. She didn't know what to do. She was all confused. But you know, we all have these stories and we all have these times that we think of the Good Samaritan. And in Luke chapter 10, let's look at Jesus' reply. We're going to pick back up in verse 30. And in reply, it says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this is an interesting story because Jesus never gives us any background on this guy that's laying there beaten half to death and, and naked. He, he doesn't tell us where he's from or who he is, and, and we have no idea who this guy is. We have no idea of his nationality. All we know is the man was headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was traveling this road, and he was headed there. And, and you got to remember, J Jerusalem is uh, uh, 2,400 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. And Jericho is 850 feet below the Mediterranean Sea level. And this journey was a 17-mile journey that this guy was walking. And it's about a 3,000 feet descent that he's coming down to. So this man is on this 17-mile journey, and he finds himself mugged. 
robbed and stripped by a group of bandits. Now, scholars will, will tell, if you in reading and studying this, that this was one of the most dangerous roads or paths in, in, in this eastern area. And, and the robbers had beat this guy to a pulp and left him half dead. Now, in this era, I want to lay a foundation, and I'm teaching for you this morning again. I want to try to do, do some treaching again. Sometimes it don't work, sometimes it does. But you could tell where people were from in this day by two things. And the first one was the color of their clothes and their attire. By their clothes, you could tell if this guy was from Rome. By, by the color of their clothes and what they're wearing, you could tell if he was from Palestine. You could tell if he was from Israel. You could tell if he's from Nazareth or, or from Galilee. You could look at what the person's attire was, and you knew what region they were from at that time. It, it distinguished them. The second way you could tell where someone was from was by their accent. When you begin to hear them talk, you could tell. Now, now, we do that today. You know, if you're from around here, and in this congregation, you look around, most of us talk normal. <laughs> you travel up north, and you begin to realize that not everybody's normal. <laughs> that folks talk different, right? You know, you can tell somebody that's from, from Jersey, from somebody that's from Michigan. Amen, you Michigan folks? You, you, you can tell a difference by their accent. But the person in Jesus' story, he doesn't tell us where he's from. We have no idea what's happening. because We don't know if he's Roman. We don't know where he's from. We, we don't know if he's a friend or if he's an enemy. Because we can't tell where he's from. Why? Because he's stripped naked and he's knocked out cold. So they have no idea who this guy is. No idea. And Jesus is setting this story up for this good Samaritan. He's building this story and, and he's making his point. And, and before he gets to the good Samaritan, there are two characters that Jesus tells us about. There's two characters that come onto the scene. And that's who we're going to talk about today are these two characters. And we're going to talk about how many times in our life do we miss opportunities to do good. How often in our lives do we walk right past an opportunity to do something for Christ? Oh my, help me preach today, Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 31. And it says, a priest happened to be coming down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The priest. The priest was coming down the same road, and pass by on the other side. Now there's some things we know about priests in this day and time. Priests in this era, they, they were a part of the upper class. Scholars believe that the majority of the priests, they lived in Jericho. The priests, they would work along beside the Levites and the, and the lay people in the temple. And, and they would work on this two-week rotation. In other words, they would work two weeks on and two weeks off. So they would be at the temple 24-7 for two weeks working and on call for, for 24 hours. And you know, some of you may know what it's like to work a swing shift and you may understand it. And that's what was taking place here. The priest had been on the job for, for two weeks now and, and he's coming home after two weeks of working, two weeks of being on call for 24-7. And you know, he gets, he's coming home and he sees this guy who's beaten half to death and he passes him on the other side of the road. Road. Why would he do that? 
Why would a priest see a man lying there in pain, stripped and robbed, and leave him lying there half dead and keep going? Well, probably for the same reasons we do. Probably for the same reasons we do. You know, I think there's four reasons why he would do that and four reasons why we would do that. And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. One of the main reasons is, you know, we're just too busy. We're just too busy. The first reason for missed opportunities is we're too busy. The priest had a job to do. He was traveling down this road. He was traveling down it for a reason. He had somewhere to be, and he had been working for two weeks. Two weeks of 24-7 on call in the temple dealing with church folk. Maybe he was just tired. He was ready to get home. He wanted to get home. Wow. He just didn't have the time or just didn't take the time. Or maybe he just didn't make the time. Oh, my. You see, folks, if you don't catch anything I say today, I want you to catch this right here. Your schedule doesn't show how much time you have for someone. It shows how much you care for someone. Your schedule doesn't show how much time you have for someone. It shows how much you care for someone. Because if there's something that's really important, If it's really important to us, you're going to clear your schedule, and you're going to be there. If it's something of the utmost importance, you're going to make it happen. It doesn't matter what is on the schedule. It doesn't matter what's taking place. You're going to make it happen. Now, Todd and Cheryl's daughter is getting ready to get married. And I don't care who calls Todd on that day and needs a job done. I can guarantee you where he's going to be. He's going to be at that wedding threatening Pastor Corbin. You better take care of my girl. Because she'll always be my girl. And I ain't always been saved. I'll come get you. <laughs> Amen? Amen. And I'll be doing the same thing come January. My point is simply this. If it's important, we're going to make time for it. We're going to be there. You see, it doesn't matter what's on your schedule. You're going to make it happen if it's important. If you don't care, you're going to just make an excuse on why you can't. Oh, y'all got quiet on me now. You just make an excuse. You see, the most valuable resource that we have is the resource of time. It's the most valuable resource that you have is your time. And you see, the priest was probably thinking... I've been giving, and I've been giving, and I've been giving, and giving, and giving for two weeks. I've been on the clock 24-7. I finally got a moment. I'm on my way home to take a breath and to see my family, and that's what I'm going to do. So he gets on the other side of the road. You see, but to this priest, I believe it was more than just about time. 
I believe this priest, he knew the Torah. And you know what the Torah is? The first five books we talked about out of the Bible. The law of Moses. He knew it. You see, you see, to him it was not only about loving your neighbor, but it was about the law. It was about being holy. Oh. You see, if he would have gotten off of his horse, now remember I said horse because he was of the high fluent. And if you were high fluent, you weren't walking you were riding a stallion. So he's riding a horse. He's on top of the horse. And if he would have gotten off of his horse, he would have had to go through the process of being cleansed again at the temple. He would have to get back on his horse after helping the man go back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and go through this process of cleansing himself and becoming holy. Because you... You had to stay set apart, and you couldn't stay set apart if you touched something that was unholy. And when he'd go back to the temple, he would have to go to the section for the cleansing, and everybody would be looking at him saying, well, what's up with that? Could you not keep up your job? Could you not remain holy? What's wrong with you? Why are you having to come back in here and go through this process again? Oh, you couldn't do it, could you there? What's up with that? So the priest had a decision to make at this time. He had to make the decision, is this person who is hurting worth the shame that I'm going to have to endure to get off this horse and help him? Is this person worth it? Me getting off of here and having to go back through the shame of the cleansing. Is this person worth the mocking? Is this person worth it? Is this person worth the time I'm going to lose at home of having to go back to Jerusalem and go through the temple and be cleansed and come back? And we see that he starts thinking, I'm just too busy for this. I'm just too busy. I'm too busy. Number two, I think the second reason that we miss opportunities is that it gets complicated. See how complicated it is here? See what he had, would have had to went through? It would have been complicated. I've got to go back. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And sometimes, folks, it's complicated. Why? Because life is complicated. We talked Wednesday night about, folks, we, we're complicated creatures. You don't believe me? Look at your neighbor. They're complicated beings. And when you engage with broken people... Things get messy. Things get messy. <laughs> because when we engage with, with broken and hurting people, folks, it takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes us out of this comfortable life that we enjoy so much. It makes us step out of something that we feel safe in. We look at a person and, and we see the need and we think, do I really want to get involved in this? Last night I wasn't sure I wanted to get involved, so I sent Oteria, you get involved. And then when we found out, we all got involved. Everybody but Hannah. She knew she wouldn't live that one down. 
you know there's a lot of other things going on in this passage. And there's a lot of things taking place in our lives. And we think, look at the things that can happen if I get involved. Look at the things that can transpire if I get involved. And we rationalize in our mind, is this person really worth it? This priest saw a person, a man lying there half dead. And he made a decision through the calculations in his mind that no, he's not worth it. He's not worth my time. He's not worth my effort. He's not worth me taking the risk and, and jumping off of here. So he goes home. And shortly after that comes the second character. And let's look at verse 32 and it says, So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Wow. Second character, a Levite. And we know that Levites, they, they were they were responsible for the worship in the temple. Not only were they responsible for the worship, but Pastor Eric, they were responsible for the maintenance and upkeep of the facility. I felt God in that one. So just like the priest, the Levite worked two weeks on and two weeks off. So like the priest, the Levite was on his way home to Jericho, coming down from Jerusalem. The priest and the Levite were on the same schedule. They were both headed home that day. But unlike the priest, the Levite would not have been up on a horse because he wasn't a part of the high fluent. As a matter of fact, most scholars would tell you that the Levite was most likely walking down the road. And he's walking down the road, and as he's walking, he arrived at this place where this guy's laying there, beaten and bloody, and he walked right by. Two church leaders, two walking home and coming home from the, the temple and, and ministering for two weeks on, they walk right by somebody hurting. Why would he do that? Maybe he sees that this guy had just been beat up and he had a fear. He had just been beaten and he had been robbed and the Levite is now afraid. He may have been thinking to himself, they may be hiding over here behind this rock or in this cave and waiting for me to slow down and begin to help this guy and they're going to do the same thing to me. So maybe he just started walking that much faster. Maybe he broke into a dead sprint and he took off. Because this is the most dangerous highway in the Near East. And, and thieves were known for hiding out and, and waiting for folks to travel and come by. And he probably felt this, this tension and he started even going faster. So number three, oftentimes we miss opportunities because we are afraid to take the risk. He was afraid to stop and take a risk on this guy. We're afraid that we may be getting in over our heads. Oh my. We're afraid that maybe we can't handle this situation. Maybe we can't do it. We're afraid sometimes, or use the excuse sometimes, that I may do more harm than I'll do good. And most of the time, when fear is working, we talk ourselves right out of helping someone. We talk ourselves right out of helping our neighbor. Wow. Because too often, we're afraid of taking a risk. Even though we think it's the right thing to do, folks, 
oftentimes the right thing to do is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. A lot of times we don't take the high road or we don't do the right thing because we know it's going to cost us something. It's going to be hard to do this. It's going to cost something. And the Levite looked at the situation and said, it's just not worth the risk. But there's something else going on, I think, in the mind of the Levite right now. Remember, he had been on the two-week rotation with the priest, and he had just gotten off of work. And, and when you work that shift, you realize and you understand what priest is on duty, and you know what priest is going to be riding home that day. And, and he knew the priest had left, and, and he watched him gallop off on his horse, wishing, I wish he just gave me a ride. So he knew the priest had just come through this same spot. So he thought in his mind, my boss just must have rode by him. So it must be okay. He didn't get off his horse and help him. Because he just got off his shift too. Uh-oh. He's thinking, my boss didn't stop and do anything, so who am I to contradict what he did? Who am I? In fact, he, he, you know, he said... I can't do my boss a disfavor and show him up by, by stopping and, and doing something. I mean, my boss came by here and, and he didn't think he was worthy to stop for. So who am I to, to think I'm more special than my boss and to be a hero and fly right in here and do it? I don't want to bring disfavor upon the priest. I like my job. He's my boss. So I'm going to keep going. You see, he had a loophole. He had a way out. And we do too a lot of times. And number four, the reason we miss opportunities is a lot of times because we expect someone else to do it. We drive by the broken down car that's out of gas and expect someone else to do it. Oh my. We run into a situation and we may say, I'm just not qualified to do that. I'm not qualified. Folks, there are some things that we're not qualified to do. I mean... I love my friend Scotty right here. I, I thank God he got up early this morning and drove all the way from Chattanooga to be in church with us. I love this guy. But I realize that this is a complicated creature right here. And there's some things in his life that I just can't do for him. I don't think a professional psychologist could do it for him. You know, a lot of times you may see a, you may leave here today and, and, and see a wreck, God forbid, on the side of the road and, and somebody's in there hurting. You're not qualified to go perform surgery in the middle of the highway. You're not qualified. Now, I know there's some good old boys around here that's got their pocket knives. Say, I'm ready. But you're not qualified. But you know what? You are qualified to call 911. You are qualified to, to stop and and watch the children that hadn't been hurt in the accident. You are qualified to, to stop and, and, and simply say, may I pray with you? And bring comfort and peace to them at that moment? Hmm. You see, if everyone expected someone else to do it, nobody would get help. We see the priest and we see the Levite, they both missed this opportunity. And you know what, church? I step back and I look at this story that Jesus is telling and I'm standing from a distance and I look at it I'm a lot like the priest and the Levite I'm a lot like them 
I'm like those guys because, let's be honest, there's been opportunities that have arose and they've came near me and I looked the other way and kept going. And you know what? I've used all four of those excuses we just gave. I've used them all. Anytime you see a person in need, there's an opportunity to help. I believe there's opportunities all around us. And through this whole series, I've been praying, God, get me off of my donkey and show me the opportunities. I was riding my bike the other day on the, on, the, on the mountain bike trails and I come across a guy and uh, hey, how you doing? And something just prompted me. I stopped. I said, hey man, what's up? How are you, you okay? What's, he said, yeah, I've just never done this and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, I've got this just bike from Walmart. It's really not made for it, but I love being out there. I said, well, come on. I said, you want me to show you? you want me? I took time out for him. And I said, come on. And I would ride and wait and ride and wait. And we got to the very end, and uh, he was wore slap out, and he looked at me, and he teared up, and he simply said, "Thank you." He didn't know I was a pastor. I didn't announce that. I didn't. I, I didn't say anything. And before we left, we've exchanged numbers. And he's already texted me, asking me to take him riding again. And you know what this opportunity is going to lead to? It's going to lead to an open door to me say, "Hey, come see me at church." There's a whole lot, of, there's another 130 folk just like me that'll love you. Well, can I get 50 that'll love him? <laughs> can I get 15 that'll love him? My, my. And I say that to tell you if we will just open our eyes, there's opportunity at every corner. There's opportunity everywhere we are at. The problem is we got to slow down enough to see them. Folks, we live in a world of wounded people. Uh, just look at the people close to you. You know, I, I want to issue a challenge. I want you this week to identify one person that you've been passing by. Identify one person. And just pause long enough to look at them and say, how you doing? No, really, how you doing? Good, man. And take time out to listen. You've heard it said many times, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And there's a lot of Christian folk that need to think about that. Can I get an Amen. All I'm asking you to do this week is I want you to notice the people that God has placed around you. Notice the things that God places right in front of you. And I'm going to close with this story about a man named Bill. And Bill, I was reading, his, I, I was reading and he tells his story. And as he's telling his story, he says, One day when I was, I believe he said 12 years old, Lived in Florida. My mother and I were walking down the block where we lived. And his mother worked as a maid at the uh, local hotel. 
They were in St. Petersburg, Florida. And um, as they were walking, they stopped and they, began, they sat down on a uh, concrete culvert. And they sat there for a few moments and then all of a sudden, his mother jumped up and just looked at him and just kind of raised her hands, shook her head, and said, I can't do this anymore. And she looked at Bill and she said, Bill, stay right there. Don't move. And she left. Bill, being an obedient 12-year-old boy, obeyed his mom. And he sat there. Dark rolled in, and he sat there. He said, all I could do, it's a true story, you can look it up when you leave here today. He said, all I could do was try my best to be brave and fight back the tears. And he said, I sat there for three days in the Florida heat, trying to be brave as a 12-year-old boy, holding back the tears. He said, I didn't know where to turn. He said, I didn't know how to pray because prayer had never been a part of our family. So I sat there in the scorching heat, fighting the tears. He, said, he made this statement. He said, all I knew to do was to try to be brave. And on the third day, a man by the name of Dave Ruddiness, a local mechanic, he noticed Bill sitting on the culvert. You know what he did? He went over and sat down next to him. How you doing, son? And he was just really warm with Bill, and Bill opened up and began to share his story, what was happening, what was taking place. And as Dave sat there and listened, he said, come on. He took him home, gave him a room. And Dave Rudness that summer paid for Bill to go to a Christian youth camp. Dave was a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ. And when Bill went to this youth camp for the week, he heard something that he had never heard before. When the speaker looked at him and he said, Jesus loves you and so do I. Somebody just took the time to look at him and say, Jesus loves you and so do I. And Bill made a commitment to Christ and gave his heart to Christ that week at youth camp. Well, let's fast forward. As Bill made this commitment, Bill went to college, went to seminary, and then Bill went into ministry. And upon leaving his home church in Florida, his first assignment, his first job, was with the First Assembly of God in Davenport, Iowa. with a pastor that probably a lot of you are familiar with. His name's Tommy Barnett. And they began to work with children there. And in 1979, Bill moved to Brooklyn, New York. And he took a donated, beautiful, wooden-paneled station wagon. And he started picking up kids 
and taking them to Sunday school. And every kid that got into his station wagon, Bill tells the story and he says, I look them in the eye and I say, Jesus loves you and so do I. Every single kid, he says, he tells them that. Since this time, that old station wagon has been replaced with a bus. And since then, Bill has been beaten. Bill has been stabbed. Bill has been shot. Bill has been robbed. And Bill has been hospitalized. But today, his name is Bill Wilson. And he heads up a ministry called Metro World Child. He still drives a bus, but Bill has a fleet of buses now. He's taken this ministry all over our country. And today, today, every Sunday through this ministry, there are over 220,000 kids that are picked up across America. And every one of those kids, every time they get on the bus, they hear, God loves you, and so do I. Wow. Bill made the statement as I was reading this article. He said, every time I, he still drives a bus. He says, every time I drive the bus, and every time I'm not just looking into a kid's eyes. He says, I'm looking into my eyes. Every child I tell. Church, I'm not challenging you or urging you today to be the next Bill Wilson and start busting in hundreds of thousands of kids. God raised him up for that unique ministry. But you know what I am asking you to do today? I'm asking you to be the next Dave Rudinus. The man that picked up Bill and took him home. And sent him to youth camp. And introduced him to children's ministry. What I'm asking you to do. Is when you leave here today. And when you get up and go to the office tomorrow. Whatever your office may be. Is to notice those around you. Look at those around you. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes. I'm just asking you to notice. Notice that there is somebody that God is going to bring into your path and your way. There's somebody that's not too far from here that God wants to place in your path. Let's consider our responsibility. What kind of conversations are you going to be in this next week? My prayer is simply this. That this message would just ring over and over and over in your mind. Because we got to be Jesus with skin on. I pray that it rings over and over. And that God's spirit just looms around each and every one of us. It may get busy. It may get complicated. It may even get a little risky. And we may want to think somebody else can do it. But I'm believing that as God opens the opportunities this week, 
that we will extend our hands and give help. I know you know that we're making an opportunity and we're affording an opportunity to you in three weeks. And it's going to be get off your donkey day. And we're having serve day 2019. We've got projects lined up. We're going to meet here and we're going to go out in our community on that Sunday. And we're going to be Jesus with skin onto them. We're going to cut trees, cut weeds. We're going to build a ramp. We're... But there's somebody that God can place in your way today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you will. As some of you today as we close in worship are making that commitment to not miss the opportunity like the priest and the Levite did. Maybe you're here today and you're the guy that's laying there. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today. May I say to you, God loves you. And so do we. Father, right now, don't let me miss an opportunity. Show us the opportunities right in front of us. Let us see them, Father, clearly. And let us make a difference. And God, I'm believing today is the day of salvation for that one that doesn't know you. You say all they've got to do is call out to you and you're going to hear them and you're going to rescue them and you're going to save them, Father. As we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling as we call upon your name. And I'm going to challenge you, if that's you today, please, as you say that prayer and as you ask Christ to come into your heart, please let one of us know. Let, let Pastor Corbin, let myself, or Pastor Eric, or, or one of our wives, let them know. Because we want to encourage you. I'm going to ask you as they begin to just lead us in worship. To take these next few moments and search your heart. Are you using one of these four excuses? If so, ask God to help you correct it. And ask God to place those people and to open your eyes to them. Because more than likely, they're already there. We just got to take time to see them.